This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia, Torah Hill, city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. Now, uh, the what we're going to do today is the evolution of belief. And now, a lot of you, I understand you may be millennials and don't think much, but <laughs> if, you, if you were to if you were to do some thinking, so. So there, there's some obvious thoughts that you might have. Tell me where the edge of my camera screen is. You're right no, on the edge. Right up there. Just like, oh, to, to the, the board? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Excellent. This looks no, like a black pen. And um, we have a black pen. Here's a black pen. This pen, I think, is going to be helpful. Um, so what you see is there's an evolution of belief. And here what we have is a circle representing... This circle is representing space and time. So everything inside space and time would be inside that circle. So you're in that circle. And our and so Earth, Earth is in the circle, our galaxy, sorry, our solar system, our galaxy, all the other galaxies are out there in this circle. They're all <coughs> the expanding universe. And what I drew, drew was the edge of the expanding universe. So that circle is the edge of the expanding universe. You know, one of the great stone thoughts you might have once in a while is What's on the other side of the expanding universe? You know, what if you had a rocket fast enough that went faster than the expansion of the universe and you could shoot out beyond it? Where are you now? You know, where, where are you? Ever thought about that? Where would you be on the other side of the universe? It's an interesting thought. The next world. Yeah, well, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, and that's why that's the amazing question. So I'm going to draw a picture of you inside the circle. Okay, so obviously it's not to scale. But this is, this is you, okay, inside the circle, okay, and and here you are, and you're wondering, you're wondering some things. There's a couple of things you'd be wondering, and uh, I'm not even going to ask you what you might be wondering, but uh, just because I want to focus us in on a specific thing you would be wondering, and that specific thing that you might be wondering is what's outside the circle. That's one of the obvious ones, what's outside the circle. I think that's taken up a lot of the thoughts of mankind throughout history. Is what's outside the circle? Everyone wants to know what's out there. It's a major debate, in fact, today, to this day, in all days of history. Human beings have always wondered what, else, what is outside the circle. You know, it's kind of a joke on Darwin. Is we're the species that spends all its time... We're, we're, we, are, we are adapted to spend all our time wondering where we came from. You know, which is obviously a joke on Darwin because, because it's just maladaptive. And yet every human being, since the history of human beings, have spent all their time wondering, where are we from? What, what is, what's outside this thing? And does it have anything to do with us? That, we're maladapted for that. That's not good for survival. You know, that's good for staring at your belly button. That's good for meditation, perhaps, but it's not necessarily good for surviving. Uh, we, we were not offered water today at all. Nope. Is the secretary there at the front desk today? Also not. Wow, that's rough. I'll share mine. Okay, your germs, I would share, I suppose, since you're my mom. What <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I have a rule. That, by the way, I'm, I'll share a beer with anybody. But <laughs> I just decided in classrooms, I don't share germs with the students just while I'm teaching, just because it's such a since we're speaking Darwin, random selection of germs. And 
Yeah. I, <laughs> and you don't want to get sick. You're right. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I mean, my immune system is pretty, pretty brawny and powerful immune system. Amen. <laughs> I'm not putting my germs on it. Maybe the security guard has some water, bro. Anyway, that's you. And there you are inside the circle. And I shouldn't have put a smile on it because it doesn't make you smile. You know, if anything, it makes you worried. You know, because if there's something outside of here that's causing all this into existence, that means you have a surveillance camera in your bathroom. Think about it. If it's surveillance cam, there's a microphone. You know how, like, you're always wondering if how mic'd your phone is or your Alexa is? You know those wonders? Yeah, well, guess what? If you say there's a being outside the circle that created this whole system, so that means your brain is microphoned. Your brain is tapped. <laughs> Pretty scary. <laughs> you can, I understand atheists, man. I don't want no surveillance camera, not my bathroom, not my bedroom. Not my car. Don't want my brain tapped. You know, I want as much autonomy as possible. I'm, I'm part of those libertarians. You know, I believe in internal freedom. And uh, freedom of thought. And as you, those who follow me regularly know that I'm also a libertarian about the freedom of what goes into our bloodstream. You know, and the, that it's, uh, that the government's long arm should not be extending itself into, into, you know, our own choices. In, uh, in what we want to do with our internal cocktail. Now, let's keep going. So the, in, the evolution of, in the evolution of thought, sorry, the evolution of this question, so the first answer is the atheist. And the atheist, is really kind of a nihilist these days, but the atheist believes there's nothing outside the circle. Now, is that an act of faith or an act of, of knowledge? Which one, faith or knowledge? Faith. faith. An act of faith. In fact, it's an extreme leap of faith. Extreme leap of faith. Because can you know what's outside space and time? No. Can you know what's outside space? You cannot know that. So there may be a God on the other side, there may not be a God on the other side, but for someone to go with the atheist perspective and say, well, guilty until proven innocent, basically, until I see God, I'm not going to believe in God. And I understand that position, and I've held it myself in my past. If, I, if no one proved to me God's existence, then I'm not going to believe in God. Why would I? <coughs> Except what's the problem? Is proving God's existence would require instrument of measure. To prove anything beyond the shadow of a doubt, would require an instrument, a measure of some sort. Tell me, has there ever been an instrument of measure that measures things outside space and time? Has there ever been an instrument like that? No, what would you, what would you require to have an instrument of measure that measures things outside of time? You'd have to have an instrument of measure that is, that's outside space and time. Will there, has there ever been such a thing? No. And then you get these guys who are like, you know, they're usually over 50, but they're like, they're like well, science just hasn't figured it out yet. No, science hasn't figured out the God thing yet. Because, you know, they're, they're working on it. You're never allowed to say that science hasn't, science hasn't figured out something yet. You're not allowed to say that unless you've seen science has made progress along the way of figuring things out. Tell me, how much progress has science made on figuring out an instrument of measure that measures outside space and time? How, how far have they come? It's like zero. How's zero sound? Like zero development. 
in one of the most important thoughts of human beings, one of the most critical things that will inform your next moves is whether there's a God and therefore purpose or whether there's not a God and therefore life is meaningless and you might as well shoot up a Walmart when you get angry enough. This is important. This is life and death. And tens of millions of people were killed over this more than once. From the extreme right of Nazi Germany to the extreme left of the former Soviet Union. It's life and death whether there's something out there. But the groups that have decided there's not, but were in power, have caused horrible, malicious death in this world. So it's an important discussion. And no, scientists aren't going to figure it out. Because the only instrument of measure that measures something outside space and time is your own brain. It's your own brain. Now, sometimes it needs a little lubrication with a psychedelic. (laughs) But ask a meditator who's never experienced a psychedelic, ask a meditator and he'll tell you that he knows. And I've seen it myself over my close to three decades here. And every time we got someone in the old days, when people, people used to put on backpacks to like go find truth. Today, you just pull your phone out. But in the old days, you got on this big, heavy pack, and you, you traveled around, and you, you, you went for the search. And most of the people searched in the East, Eastern traditions. There was something mystical about it going out east like that. and But some of those people would say, you know what, I'm, since I'm flying over the Middle East to get to the Far East, maybe I should stop in the Middle East and see what Israel has to say. So we once in a while would get these guys who had been meditating for years in ashrams in India. And I've got, I've got to have a lot, of, a lot of amazing conversations with some of those very dedicated meditators. And many of them today are a totally observant Jews. Many of them look like me, actually. They generally grow these after. Yeah, they generally grow these out. They used to just have one out around the top of their head. <laughs> now they got now they got two, <laughs> and they come from the sides. So, so and almost all of them are observant today. But here's the amazing thing: that in all of our discussions, one thing we never had to discuss was whether there was a God, because these were dedicated meditators. And the greatest instrument of measure is the brain God gave us. But if you've been hanging around too many, too many uh, Ashkenazim white people, Caucasians, yeah, Caucasians are a natural disaster when it comes to God, and they um, and they're philosophical, and they use the brain God gave them to remove God from the picture because something's got to give, something's got to give. Either you're got to get out, or God's got to get out. But, Ash, but white people can't live with themselves, with a God. They just can't live with their own guilt. There's so much guilt. And so I, got, I either got to get rid of me, because I feel like such a piece of scrap, without the S, or I'm going to get rid of God. And, and Caucasians get rid of God. Using philosophy. They use the brain God gave them to get rid of him. When in fact your brain's the greatest instrument to get to him. Well, some of you are thinking my brain ain't such a good instrument to get to him, because all my brain gets is touch and smell and sound and taste and sight. Meaning my my neurons are basically atheists. 
My cerebral cortex is atheist by nature. And you know what? Judaism says the same thing, that your frontal cortex, the frontal lobe of your brain, is atheist by nature, which is why every day we put a black box right over the fontanelle, the fountain of God, that little aperture that babies have soft. It's where the different parts of the skull close in. That we have to put a black box with Shema Yisrael, with God's oneness, right over the frontal cortex. That men have to do this specifically. Every day, and specifically in the morning, so that you might have a godly day. And I pity the food. Those bums who put on their tefillin. I'm glad they put it on, but they put it on like right before sundown. You have to be a Hasidic teenager to do this. But they put it on right before sundown. And they're, they're, well, the truth is, most Hasidic teenagers' day begins right before sundown anyway. They are amazing sleepers. <laughs> well, it's very hard to run into a Rosh Hashiva at three in the morning, you know, which is when your day is in like full force. So, anyway, the, the, the atheist is a believer because you cannot prove the lack of God's existence at all. You cannot do that. And so for someone to take that position that is a, you're meeting a man of faith, you can learn faith from an atheist. It is not a viable position. It's not intellectually sound at all. And it leads to death and destruction. It leads to hell. Now, not everyone's going to create death and destruction. Plenty of people will sit there and play violent video games on cannabis. <laughs> Nobody's got to die. At least not in reality. Maybe only in virtual reality. But there would be maybe a location where I can get out my freaking anger on having a meaningless existence. I mean, it's just, to me, when I first saw those games, I was like, huh? And then I saw another one, huh? It's another one, huh? Another one, huh? And why would this be the go-to? Why is violence the go-to in virtual reality? It's just the weirdest thing. Well, there's only one reason that it could be if it's just so, you know, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, over... I mean, that is the go-to. If it's so saturated with it, with violence, why could it be? And the only answer is, is that when your life gets meaningless, you get angry. When your life gets meaningless, you get angry. And you're going to need, anger needs a place to release. And that's probably one of the safer places to release it. That bag's a disaster. <laughs> Whatever you need, please pull it out quickly. <laughs> Once in a while, I get a guy who opens a bag of Doritos in the middle of class and he's just like this ain't gonna harm nobody you know? and each crackle of that bag is like I don't mind the crunching because I'm Jewish and I, I'm like an Italian I think eating is always good except for myself obviously I don't need a lot of food but, but uh, the, the cracking of the bag is like it's like fingernails on a chalkboard you want to hear something else amazing check this out um, press the top power button on the AC over there. Watch this. Watch what happens. Just press it. Don't press it again. You're done, bro. Well, oh, did you press it again? Sorry, press the power button and then move your hand. Oh, 
Blessed silence. <laughs> you didn't even know it was there, did you? Mm-hmm. And that is a great, I'm not going to segue here for more in a minute, but that is a great way for all of us to know that there's noise in our lives that doesn't belong there. And we have been footing the bill, meaning we've been taking the brunt of its, its impact without being aware of it whatsoever. And you could have something as horrible as that sound now, it might be worth it for, I mean, it may be worth sacrificing your well-being for certain things. Like, for example, my wife's and my well-being took a big hit in marrying off our daughter because it just, you know, whatever. I had spent a lot more time working and uh, to pay for it. And, and there was the detail beyond detail beyond detail beyond detail, which is really frustrating when the whole event's only four hours. And the... And it just, you know, you lose well-being. There's anxiety involved. There's, there's just so much involved. But boy, was it worth it. And it was, the main thing about it was it was voluntary. And they, you, you know, they've already checked. Like, they've checked with brain scans the difference between going through stuff that you, volunteer, that you volunteer for as opposed to not volunteering for it. You know, and boy, do those have two different effects. One can be the most pleasurable thing you ever had, and the other thing can be 10 years of post-traumatic stress disorder for the very same act. So but we, if we're going to take on something stressful like the sound of that motor that was in this room, so then we've got to opt for it. And, and we're willing to sacrifice something to get something more like a married daughter. Is, was worth every penny, worth every bit of stress. It's, it's, it's my pleasure to go through everything I went through to marry her off. So may you all be blessed to experience that. Okay, so the atheist is the... <laughs> Just put, on, put the fan on low, bottom, bottom right. Yeah. So the... So the atheist is the first position, and it's a position of faith, but there's actually a more, uh, there's actually a more um, intellectually sound position, which is what atheists actually are. You know, I many atheists are just boneheads, but but what atheists actually are is is they're agnostics, and agnostics just have this question of what's out there. Now, you might think that all of us are agnostics, really, because no one knows, and so therefore it automatically... Meaning you can fill in that question mark with, with I believe there's a God, or you can fill it in with, I, be- I don't believe there's a... or No. You can fill it in with, I believe there's a God, or you can fill it in with, I'm not sure. Those are your options for the agnostic. The third one, we can't know. That's the third agnostic option. That we can't know. Okay, yeah. A lot of agnostics say we can't know, for sure. But, uh, but I don't believe in that one personally. Um, I forgot your name. I know exactly who you are, but I forgot your name. <laughs> Jacob? So, Jake? So, the, um, so, we can't know. I don't believe in that one. Just for one example, it's just the, the sheer orchestration of life around us. There's just too much orchestrated around us. Like, for example, um, this will be fun. Everyone raise your hand if you're going through something right now, just something in your life you're going through, that you'd love to be already on the other side of that, like kind of laughing about like what you had to go through. Raise your hand if you're going through anything in your life right now, even a small thing, that you wouldn't mind being on the other side of that. 
Like, for example, my other six kids getting married. I'd love to be on the other side of that and laughing. Okay, so raise your hand. Where'd the hands go? Keep your hands up. Okay, now, put them down. Now, as usual, what we found is that about 90 plus percent of the people in the room are going through something. And that's because 90 plus percent of the 7 billion people on the planet are going through something that they'd rather be on the other side of. Now, sometimes those things are rough. Something, sometimes you're like, you're going to a therapist, you're calling lawyers, you're, you'll do anything to get out of it. Like, like, just get me out of this thing. And sometimes you can't get out. It might be medical. Like, who knows what it is. And sometimes it's got a timeline that you can't speed up. That you're just going to have to go through this. But here's the amazing thing, is who you are today is the result of it. Meaning everything you've ever been to is what's made you the great person that's worth having in one's life. Think about it. You all want to be married. Those who are single, you'd like to be married. And the reason why it might be worth being married to you is because of what you went through has refined you. It has, it has sanded you down into a beautiful vessel for real relationship. It has made you the pleasure that you are, unless you've come out bitter. Some people come out bitter. But the bitter people generally are on the atheist side. But let me, let me keep going with that. The, who you've become is as a result of everything you've been through. Now, here I have a question. Tell me, would you be willing to let go of everyone you've become to get rid of everything you had to go through? Would you let go of everything you've become and what you get is you didn't have to go through whatever you went through? Raise your hand if you'd let go of it. <laughs> Nobody. How old? And which is like, which is like bizarre. It's totally bizarre. No, nobody's, nobody's willing to let go of it. And I've had people raise their hand and say that they let go of it. But I've also had a man raise his hand in this class, in this room raised his hand and he says as much as he wished his son stayed alive he lost a child as much as he wished his son, his son stayed alive the crazy odyssey which included an, an, an immediate divorce soon after the death but the incredible odyssey that he went through as a result of his child's death and to find meaning in this world when the one thing he thought was meaningful disappeared the incredible odyssey that he went through he told this entire class he said that I wouldn't have traded, he's as much as I wish I had my son, I wouldn't have traded it for what happened, for the incredible journey and who I've become as a result of my search since then. And that's the worst that can happen, really. They say of all the things that can happen to a person, that's like, you know, it's up there with, 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 uh, with rape or something like that. You know, that's of the worst things that can happen to a human being. And so it gets a little strange for all of us that we all want out of whatever we're going through. We'd love to be on the other side of it, yet that is the very thing that God has brought you to massage your self into being the person that's worth having in a relationship, worth having at a dinner table, worth having at Thanksgiving, worth having around. What makes you worth having around and it's fun to be with you and you're a good person is the stuff you've been through. So why the hell do you want to get out of it? Why do you always want to get out of it? Why are you constantly trying to get out of what you're going through rather than squeezing that orange to get the juice out of it? 
and see what it, see what it can bring you. See who you become as a result of it. Whatever you're going through, take a deep breath and go through it. It's like sports massage. You ever had a sports massage? <laughs> that ain't fun. <laughs> not from the beginning to the end. It's just not. But if you've just done, you know, 30, 40 kilometers the day before, and and having that not fun time, having someone just like just kill you on a massage table, it's just the way to go. It's pain you opt for. And marriages pain you opt for. That's why it's got to be so damn hard to get out. Because, because intimate relationships are painful. It's not easy to be married. It's not easy to be, have a parent or have children. It's tough. And it's got to be hell to pay to get out. And then you can maybe break through it. Maybe then you can grow from it. We only grow from, we only grow from stuff we can't get out of. Think about it. Anything you can get out of, you will. And therefore you won't grow. And therefore God, your seminar leader, has no choice but to throw stuff on you that you can't get out of. Even though you wish you could get out of it, you're going to have to grow through it. God is your seminar leader and he's going to put you through hell here. He knows what he's doing. And here's why I was answering Jake, why we can't know. I don't hold by that. You know why? Because there's 7 billion people on the planet right now today who would tell you that what they went through 10 years ago you can take every one of them, all 7 billion people, and take them back 10 years before and give them a little snapshot, a little flash of what they were going through. And it could have been quite bad, depending on the country, political unrest and stuff. You take them all the way back to the situation they were going through. And you ask them, now, would you trade it? And the other thing you can ask them, and this is a very important point, this is where the God part comes in, is do you see how it was part of the puzzle? Do you see how this part of the narrative was absolutely essential for who you are today? And that you needed this to go forward. You needed this. You were born to have this. And the answer is that if you ask 7 billion people, I don't think you get all 7 billion people. Here we, it was unanimous. No one raised their hand. But... I don't think it would be unanimous, but I would say that the vast majority, meaning in the 90 plus, 95 percentile, that you'd have 7 billion people saying that whatever the hell they went through was meant to be. Well, that can't happen without a God. Nothing can be that perfect. Suffering cannot be perpetrated. And it's not the right word, but suffering can't be inflicted. Suffering can't be inflicted to 7 billion people and have all 7 billion 10 years later say they know why now. They get it. They get it. That's only with a God. No atheist can answer that. How does our world work out? Why is it always some zero? By the way, 10 years is like... I'm giving a lot of time here. Thanks for coming. So don't move that here. Ten years is a lot of time. Can I tell you something? If it takes you ten years to figure out why you went through the hell you're going through right now, or I'm blessing you all not to be going through that, but I'm sure there's some of you are going through something heavy. Yeah, out of all of you, there's probably someone going through something heavy. 
Anyone here willing to raise your hand? They're going through something heavy. You don't have to say what it is. Okay. A couple of you and the, some people were lying. <laughs> so they didn't raise their hands. I raised my hand. I'm going through something heavy. And, and because of my love of my students, I'm going through something heavy always. I mean, if, I, if you just read through my WhatsApps, in a given day, your heart would break a thousand times. People around the world, you know, sharing with me. And, and, and then, of course, the big question at the end of what they share, which is like rip your heart to shreds. The end of what they share is, is always the words, what do I do? <laughs> you know what you do then? You think about all your people you can refer them to. <laughs> now, if I got an answer, I answer. But I don't always have it, and I just refer. And over the years of referring, I think I've helped a lot, a lot of people. Referring is an expertise, by the way. I, I get people, they're like, gee, it's a little steep to meet with you because I do charge a lot for an hour. And, and they're like, can you help me? Because I'll pay the money, but I need to know. I say, if I can't, I know who can. So it's either going to cost that amount for our one meeting, and I may be able to help you, and it'll cost a few more times that, or I'm going to know who, but I promise you I'll know who. And, and I've got a tremendous Rolodex of, of names in every field, with the exception of psychiatry. <laughs> I'm still looking for a good psychiatrist. Somebody help me. Just By the way, there are plenty of good psychiatrists, but you cannot be a good psychiatrist if the patient doesn't have your phone number, your WhatsApp, and your email, and how to reach you at all times. And just like rabbis are reachable at all times, we're not helping less serious situations. And we are completely reachable. You don't mess with the chemistry of a person's brain without being completely available to them, just like we're completely available. You can't use your little doctor, your little doctor ivory tower, your little doctor's uh, uh, little safe place, safe space, behind the secretaries and the, and the, and etc. If you're messing with the chemicals, reactions of a person's brain who lives inside their brain in real time. You must be fully available or don't prescribe. It's, it's uh, the, the most irresponsible situation I've ever seen are all surrounding that field. People with PhDs, respected doctors, heads of hospitals. Ugh, I'm starting to rant. Let's get back to our class. Yes. Let's get back to our class. And, and that, uh, yeah, you want to say something else? Yeah, I just don't see how the sovereign in the world explains the God's existence. Is bec oh, you didn't get that? I'll repeat it quickly, just in a nutshell. Is because all the suffering makes sense um, after the fact, meaning when you see what it did and where, what puzzle piece it was, so you start to realize, wait, that couldn't have happened randomly. That was like tailor-made. My, initial, my initials were engraved in that situation. That situation had my name on it. Had your name on it. And, and it's weird. It's just weird. 
I'm telling you, like, like our rabbis teach us that if someone knocks a pot off a building and it lands on that guy, the guy who, threw the, who knocked the pot off the building, he's... Sorry, did I say threw a pot? No. Knocked a pot. He's a pool cleaner. He's just like... <laughs> on the roof of some building. And finally, he's like... Oops. The guy it lands on is not random. Someone has their leaves their wallet in a cab, and it's gone. It's because it's meant to be gone. Because they're gonna have to go to the DMV, and they're gonna meet someone in the DMV, or maybe they're gonna get frustrated at the DMV, which is what happens to most people, and lose it and get arrested. You know, for having freaked out everybody at the DMV, losing his temper until he had to be ultimately uh, neutralized. And it's going to be this just crazy story that's going to all come from just having left his wallet in the taxi. On the other hand, the, he calls Lost and Found the next day, and, and lo and behold, the wallet was returned because he was meant to keep his wallet. But there was a taxi driver who had taken the wallet the last three times and realized he's having trouble sleeping at night and his doctor said to him, listen, before I prescribe you anything, I just was wondering if you have a guilty conscience. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, maybe a little. Why don't you consider a little bit of of (coughs) done anything wrong lately and maybe right your ways. And that day you left your wallet in his cab. That was the next day. And he got a chance to return a wallet. So it, it was, it, you, he had, someone had to lose their wallet. It was you. I, I wind up going to some store across town. I get to the store, it's closed. And then I look at my watch and I'm like, oh my gosh. I know the store closes at five and it's seven. I'm two hours late. <laughs> and as, as I'm looking at the, the sign that says I close at five, which I knew it closed at five. I've been to the store a million times, and the fact that I t- you know, lost track of time is probably right after daylight savings time. Sun was still pretty high, and I show up there at seven. And, but while I'm sitting there incredulous that I did this, Rabbi Glazer? Yeah? He's like, you don't understand. I have a situation that only you can help me. I've been searching everywhere for you, and I couldn't find your number. Just like, at your service, man. <laughs> the orchestration, it's just too perfect. It's just too perfect. But here I want to go into one more thing. And that is that if it takes you 10 years to realize why it was perfect, you rate low on spirituality. Did you know there's a spirituality scale? You know what the scale? I'll give you a definition. Spirituality. The scale. The spirituality scale is you're as spiritual. Uh, sorry, the score you get for spirituality is how long it takes you to realize that what you went through was meant to be. But I should say even better. Let's put it positive. Your score of spirituality, meaning to get it, to get it like a A plus, is that because I'm going to put in the present tense now. Is that while you're going through it, you're in real time. Very few people are in real time. I had some frustrating moments today. Some really frustrating moments. I was not in real time at all. Now, looking back on it, it was all meant to be. Looking on the things I went through today, 
I went through a couple of frustrating moments. In retrospect, it was just miraculous what took place, and and I'm really happy about that. But but I wasn't in real time. I was once walking to a synagogue in my neighborhood, and I'm walking down the street, and in front of me is the synagogue. It's on the right, and there's the men's en- there's the women's entrance, and then the men's entrance, right after it, and the women's entrance had this old corrugated steel gate, with you know a thin lip that hits the doorpost. It's open because it's prayer time, and all the elderly ladies like to pray in the synagogue. And the and you know the gates open. Now, meanwhile, there was an 84-year-old woman who stooped over like this. This is how she walks. She's a very heavy woman, and she she walks like that. And what happened was, a friend of mine walked out of the men's synagogue while she was walking in towards the women's synagogue, and. My friend said, hi. I said, hey, what's up? This old lady got distracted by me and looked my way, but mistimed everything. And when she came back towards her way, boom, right under her forehead, the lip of that gate just went like, boom. And she's just like, whoa. Me and my friend grabbed her and like held her up and like brought her down and sat her down. And, And when my friend asked me. He said, what did she say? She said something. I'm in that because it made this sound out of her mouth. Like, and there's a real shocking, like kind of sound, but he said, there were words there. I said, you're right. There were words. She said on impact, she said the words, Magiali. It was coming to me. Now, I bless you not to turn it, have to be 84 like that to start real being in real time with God. Most people, it takes a couple years. Not everyone like not everyone like sprains their wrist and then meets their soulmate in the emergency room. You know, <laughs> not everyone gets that real time type of like meaning that quicker thing. But but I promise you, with one deep breath, while you're going through it, to say there must be a reason. Everyone try that deep breath. There must be a reason. Let's do it again, but this time move your lips, those who didn't realize that I was going to ask you to say something. Ready? There must be a reason. Let's do it again, and this time we'll say, this is good for me. This is good for me. One more time, and this is a sports massage. This is a sports massage. By the way, there is a shortcut for all this. I don't mean to like market myself here, but but uh, there is a way, a shortcut for all of this, and that is uh, instead of being in God's seminar, which really takes years, like about ninety, um, instead of being in God's seminar, where you got to kind of surrender yourself to what you're going through and grow from it, is there are such things, and I happen to have been trained into being one of them. Is there are such things as putting yourself in the line of fire of a personal transformation leader. He'll put you through it all in a matter of days. And it'll be painful. You'll have to surrender. You're going to cry your eyes out. You're going to sob like a baby, probably in fetal position. You're, you're going to go through hell. It's going to be really hard. You're going to have to open it all up and unpack your bags and see what each item is inside there and, and realize how your narrative is crushing, your personal narrative is crushing your life. 
But you can do that work. I think it's highly suggested. You know why? Some people tell me, like, can I just be on God's plan, you know? And I'm like, yeah, go tell that to your spouse. You know, your spouse is like, come on already. You know, like, grow out of that character trait that's messing you up, messing me up by being married to it. And how about our kids? Our kids have, like, an intravenous drip line from our best, but also our worst. And so, yeah, you'll probably grow out of it after you go through enough stuff in God's seminar, but you, today you can actually do this kind of a synthetic God seminar where you put yourself in the line of fire of a seminar leader. And you should know that people who really get that come more than once because you, you start to haze over after a while. <laughs> you know, you, you, you lose it. You got to come back. You can even go back to, you can go to another kind or you can go to the same one but you will find yourself like an onion with layers of stuff that if you leave yourself to your own devices, you'll probably never get out of that stuff, at least till you're old. You can get into real time, but it's much better to put yourself in the line of fire. And since I mentioned it, our next seminar is in, uh, is in the, uh, September 7th, is a Sunday? September 7th? 9th, I think. 7th. If the 15th is... A, I know the 15th is... The first is Rosh Chodesh. is Sunday the 1st of September. Yeah, it's so cool. This month is coming. Sunday's the first day. Yeah. It's also the English calendar, and it's also the Hebrew calendar. Like, it couldn't get easier. Yeah. So, so the 7th of... I'm opening up a men's seminar starting the 7th of September, and a little... In Brooklyn, in Budapak. Budapak. Budapak, if you're not Yiddish speaking, is Borough Park. But Yiddish speakers add a D. So Budapak. Yeah, there's also a place up by Muncie called Mandro. Mandro. Mandro, which is Monroe. Mandro. I live in Mandro. Yeah, the syllable goes on the first. Mandro. Anyway, and, uh, and of course, oh, that will come with an intro the Thursday before and a big Shabbaton in Borough Park. So anyone wants to be at my Shabbaton, it'll be in Budapak. And that's going to be a lot of fun. I'll take out a shul. We'll make a whole Shabbaton with a, with a uh, butter, Shabbos night and after the meal. It's going to be very nice. And uh, I'll speak Shabbos day, obviously. And, and then Saturday night, we'll do a musical of Dala. And uh, that should be great. And then uh, seminars Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for men, and uh, and then uh, and then I'm flying to England Thursday, where there'll be an intro in London Thursday night with a Shabbaton, bonus, you know, on, which will be on the fourth Shabbos, the fourteenth of September, fourteenth of Elul, with a women's and men's a men's and women's seminar on the fifteenth through Thursday. So then I'm flying back to my family and. And Motsi Shabbos will be Shabbos Slichas. So I'm flying back for Shabbos Slichas. And then we enter into the holidays after the Slichas, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. It's very exciting times. And by the way, if enough women would opt for it, I would stay for the women. In the, meaning I would, I would do a women's seminar in Brooklyn. It's just that Brooklyn women work. And running a seminar for women by day in Brooklyn is like a non-event. 
What do I wind up with? I wind up with uh, I wind up with like a couple ladies from Williamsburg. Is there a third circle? In Spitzels. Thanks for thanks for reminding me. Anyway, but you get the idea. Is that you want to be a spiritual person? Get it now. Don't 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 be the type who only gets it later. You got that? Now the agnostic perspective is not a viable one. You guys, I said this is the most intellectually sound. We can't know there's a God. So it seems like the most intellectually sound of all the arguments. Except it's not sound. You want to know why it's not sound? It's not sound because because you have to, if you're agnostic, you have to live as if there's a God. You have to live as if there is. You know why? Because it's too dangerous to live if there's not. You guys heard of Pascal's Wager? Yeah. Oh, I have. Yeah. <laughs> Pascal's Wager is very dangerous because you have your behavior while you're alive and then you have after you die. Okay, You have your behavior and then you have after you die. So you're either going to believe their yes is a God or their no is not a God. you got that option. And then you have your, you know, after you turn your Scantron sheet in, which is a way of testing life. You know, it's a giant number two pencil scantron sheet, like the American test where you fill in the little bubble. I know other countries don't have that, but in the multiple guess exams, it's a, it's a scantron sheet where you fill in the bubble and, and then you hand it in afterwards. What's so funny? For me, it was called multiple guess. You have to have actually taken the class to have a multiple choice exam. If you weren't actually at the class, then you show up for the multiple guess exam. <laughs> if you're Jewish, you have a very high chance of passing. <laughs> now, the... But then you hand in your, your exam sheet, i.e. you die, and then there either is a God, or there's not a God, and there either is a God, or there's not a God. And so it's very clear that if you lived your life behaving as if there is a God and there's not a God, well, you know, it's like splat like an ant. You know, like nothing really matters at this point because you're dead. And if you go to this one, if there's not a God, if you lived as if there's not a God, I mean, you just did whatever the hell you wanted all the time, just living fully impulsively your whole life. And there's not a God, well, you did a good job because there's not. But what if there is? What if there is? What if you ignored your conscience all your life and you just thought it nothing more than just a, a uh, glitch in the, uh, in the in, uh, what do you call it, evolution, an evolutionary glitch that you have a conscience. And it turns out there is a God. Well, as, as, my, as Mr. Dupree said to us, our history teacher in, in elementary school, whenever we got in trouble for something, he'd say, You've been busted. <laughs> so, you used to say that to me a lot, actually. So, so if there turns out there is a God, you've been busted. Because it's God that put that in you. It's not an evolutionary glitch. How come we're the only species with it? Primates will tear each other limb from limb with zero conscience. We're not evolved with this conscious. This conscious was a gift called the soul, blown into our nostrils. So, that's not going to work out. Whereas, if you live your life as if there is a God, 
and you honor your inner contract, which is in your heart. It's only Judaism that adds like another 55,000 things you got to deal with. <laughs> but, but if you just honor that conscience, that voice inside you, which of course, obviously, if you're an observant Jew, it's highly developed into great detail and minutia that you can really feel bad about. And can you imagine feeling bad about washing your left hand first? <laughs> I mean, that's just, you just send me immediately for OCD medicine. <laughs> for spending more than a single moment of feeling bad about the fact that I washed my left hand first. But I'll tell you, man, you wash your right hand first. <laughs> of course, all the Gentiles listening to this are like, you know, out on, online are just like, you wash both hands together, man. <laughs> How clean, clean can you get your hands when you're washing one at a time? <laughs> can you wash first? So, maybe if I shake it around enough, it'll, it'll get cleaner. So... Anyway, but for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, these are ritual washing. <laughs> um, is that if you act as if there is a God, meaning you listen to your inner contract, that voice inside you, and it turns out there was not a God, well, nothing really matters now, does it? And if, on the other hand, you live as if there is a God, and it turns out there is a God, you're in good shape. Because you listen to the voice that God planted inside your body. Now, I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say this really quick. Why would you not listen to that voice? I mean, what are you, crazy? Why would you not listen to the voice in your head that says, do the right things? And let me explain my question. Because when you do, you feel great. And if you do it again, you feel great. And when you do it again, you feel great. When you do it again, you feel great. When you do it again, you feel great. And the next thing you know, they stamp on your entire life the word great. Because it was a great life. Because life is about it being great. Except so many of us have a, an identity crisis when things are going too well. Because we have what's called inside of us a misery comfort zone. And your misery comfort zone is the amount of misery that you're addicted to. And anything that threatens to make you feel great, you will sabotage. You see, your issue with doing the right things has nothing to do with doing the right things. Your issue with doing the right things, I mean, that struggle of doing the right things is not your issue. Your issue is that you're addicted to feeling scrappy. Without the S. If you're addicted to feeling scrappy, it serves you in some way. You get to complain. You get to complain about your parents, or you get to complain about your, about you know life and the situation, and the, and you, you just you just get your little you get your little pedestal, and you 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 get your little soapbox to stand on. You get a therapist going like this. <laughs> That'll be two hundred dollars, please. <laughs> we'll see you next week.
we're afraid we'll feel good. And we wouldn't recognize ourselves. Do you understand that self-identity it doesn't exist? Self-image doesn't exist? Can you think of anything more scary than losing your own self-image? Can you think of anything more scary than ego death? That who you are doesn't exist. And guess what? It doesn't. <laughs> think about it. The less ego you have, the happier you are. The more at peace you are, the less insults. You know, you become Teflon to insults. You don't exist anyway. All you are is a soul with a body. And that just makes you holy, special, and energized, and, and, and shape-shifting. Because you, you think about it, if you're just a soul and a body, well, whatever circumstances come up for you, you can wear a hat for that. You can, I can be someone who can help that lady with her overhead roller bag play Tetris, <laughs> and I can be the guy who's helpful with people's roller bags on that airplane. And then I can come home and be a father and I can go be a husband and I can, I can be in any position that God throws my way. I am flexible and I am malleable and I'm, I, am, I am fluid. And I live in miracles because once I know that, well, now I get to push the envelope because once you start pushing the envelope, you force God's hands, God's hand to give you what is called siyata deshmaya, which means miracles. If you're not getting miracles in your life, it's because you're not pushing hard enough. It's because you're too scared. If you're not getting miracles in your life, it's because you're just too scared of your own shadow. And you know what you're scared of? You're scared that your self-image will get dented. You're scared of becoming less by failure or becoming less by a rejection or being less by having a boss tell you what to do. It's all, what's ruining your life is self-image. And what will make your life is getting rid of the damn thing. But our self-image is so crummy that we can't help but, but, sorry, our self-image is so crummy and we're addicted to it because we're so scared of being nobody that we will do the wrong things just to maintain being that guy with the crummy self-image. So we can have a bone to pick with society, with the education system, with our parents, with our, with our religion, with a, you, you name it, we'll point our finger at it. But when you point your finger at something, you've got to realize there are three more pointing right, right back at you. Where are these three fingers pointing? Everyone say, right back at you. Right back at you. Pointing right back at you because you're running a racket, man. <laughs> you're running a racket and you're the one who's paying for it. Running a racket and you're the one losing. And time is ticking, and the only thing there is is now. Your self image doesn't exist, and time doesn't exist. All there is is now. Think about it. If I ran into you three years, if I could time travel back three years ago and ask you what time it is, you'd have no choice but to tell me it's now. And if I ran into you ten years ago and asked you, hey, what time is it? You'd have to say, well, I'm not sure, but it's definitely now. <laughs> have you ever experienced anything but now? That's all you get. So all of you are thinking that somehow you're going to get on the other side of now. Good luck. Because you've never once, not even once, experienced anything but now in your entire life. It does not exist. In other words, you're insane 
You know why you're insane? Because the definition of insanity is someone out of touch with reality. Because sanity means you're in touch with reality. All that's ever happened in reality is now. And the fact that you live your life in a constant postponement for future betterment, that somehow it's going to be better, and that somehow you got to just hold on until you get there, that's scrap. You've never experienced anything but now, and you either make now awesome because it is, because you think you're going to somehow, you think when you get to where it's going to be better, you're going to somehow get off of your years and years and years of living in the future or for a future. You think that's going to go away? It doesn't. It doesn't go away. You either start practicing now to live in reality and sanity, to be sane. You either practice now on being a sane human being or get used to insanity because that's what you're going to wind up with because you're in there now postponing life. God, God does not create time. Show me in Genesis where God creates time. That wasn't one of the creations. All God creates is now. Now and now. And he put a soul that is perfectly, fiber-optically linked to now. But he put it inside a body. And that body's got a brain and a story it tells itself. A whole narrative it tells itself about its life. And then spends the rest of its life defending its story. Until they bury you. You know what they'll put on your tombstone? Nice story. <laughs> Put on your tombstone. Nice story. You know what they're going to write right under nice story? Not. 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 Your story is taxing. Your story is exhausting. Being a relative of your story is rough. No one needs your story, man. Start being a person who, who is of service. Stop being the stink bug in everyone's life and start being a person. Start being a person of service in this world. The reason you have that conscience inside of you is because there is a God on the other side of all this. Live your life you got to develop your conscience, especially if you're Jewish. I mean, we got, again, 55,000 laws. you got to develop it. you got to have a sophisticated conscience. You can't go with that, well, I'm a good person. That doesn't work if you're Jewish. And, you know, anyone who tells me they're a good person, I'm like, that's nice. Who are you good to? And they're like, people. <laughs> I'm like, people didn't make you. God made you. How are you with God? Never thought about it. <laughs> Where were you last Shabbat? <laughs> I was jet skiing on the Canary. I love it when people want to say they're a good person, but the only people, that, the only thing they're a really good person about is to others. They're not good to themselves. You know, human beings are more likely to give their dog medication than themselves. 
we're our own worst enemy. That's nice you don't steal from people or, you know, you're not malevolent towards others. That's nice. But to be a good person means that you're good to the creator who's creating you at all times from nothing to something. Now, what you start to realize is that the agnostic is not going to be enough because of, and here's the thing, if you're not Jewish, it could be enough to be agnostic. But if you're Jewish, it's not enough. You know why? It's too demanding. Judaism is too demanding. You will never survive as an agnostic. And the best example is is, uh, everyone you know. You know anyone who's fully observant, who's an agnostic? No way. I mean, you're cutting corners if you're an agnostic, I promise you. You know, anyone who's agnostic, who's like supposed to be an observant Jew, yeah, go, go, go put a camera in their bedroom, you know, on Shabbat. You know, God forgive me, but I left the line on this week. Click. You know, an agnostic's not sleeping with their line on. An agnostic who's on a road trip and realizes he forgot all his food and he's gone for three days on a business trip is <laughs> just going to say, well, if you're up there, forgive me for these three days. An agnostic whose spouse has become unable to perform intimately is just going to say, God, forgive me. No agnostics keeping Judaism. It doesn't exist. You'll notice that anyone who keeps Judaism is always going to be involved in a belief that something's out there. They're going to be involved in a belief that there's something out there. This person can behave accordingly. A Jew can't. It's asking too much. Judaism asks too much. You've got to figure it out. And according to the Rambam, you didn't even fulfill the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. If you stay fuzzy, you've got to figure out whether there's a God. Based on your own criteria. But you need to get to your own evidence to say there is. And once you say there is, so then maybe when your lights are left on and you get home from a Shabbos meal at midnight... You've been studying all week and you're exhausted and all you need is just to sleep finally and you find your lights are blaring bright in your room. That if you know there's a God, those lights are staying on. You'll go get a sleep shade. You'll go stay at a friend's house. You know, you'll go knock on somebody's door. You'll go sleep on a couch in the living room that, where the lights are off. But you're not going to hit that switch if you know there's a God. Judaism requires that you know you can't even keep Judaism fuzzy. You either know and you keep it or you don't. You don't know and you don't keep it. Not at least the details. Uh, we're kind of over time. This has a lot more development to go. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow if my ADHD brain doesn't send me in another direction. Thank you very much, everybody. Shalom. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.